Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. We uh, are continuing in our sermon series on 1 Thessalonians. And I want to share this because there's a few, uh, let's say, seasoned folks in this room. And it may seem odd to those who have been Christians their whole life, for decades, for a lifetime. It may seem odd that for this amount of years to be in the faith, that you recognize that the body of Christ, that the church as a whole, kind of steers away from the teaching on suffering. That it's all about sometimes, let's tickle the ears. And it's those veteran Christians that say, how come nobody wants to talk about the real stuff? The suffering for the cause of Christ. How my family doesn't want to have anything to do with me because I believe in Christ. How my friends stay away from me because I speak of Christ. And how are this next generation going to be able to hold on as we hand the baton if they don't understand suffering? And we all kind of go, yeah. And and I I don't know all the answers, but I, I think one of the basic answers is, let's just be honest, it's not fun. It's not fun talking about suffering. Why? Because it hurts. It's a lot of pain. And I came to church to be uplifted. And you're going to talk about pain and suffering? Great, I'm out of here. I'll just check out till we can go eat somewhere after service. But I got news for us. The truth is, is we need to teach That even in the midst of suffering and persecution, we must learn to stand firm and to exercise an unwavering faith for the cause of Christ. And we understand it. If you're gray hair, no hair, purple hair kind of folks, you fit right here. But let me tell you something. If we don't learn this, this theology about suffering When it comes, you won't be ready for it. I've coached for a lot of years. You all know that. And sometimes when I'm coaching those boys, I'm saying, listen, listen up. And they're going, I got to teach you how to do this. I got to teach you. And they're like going, what for? I just want to hit the ball over the fence. I just want to tackle the quarterback. And I'm guys, I'm teaching you things for when the one time it happens on the field, you'll be ready for it. Because you don't know when the onside kick's going to happen. You don't know when the, the weird thing's going to happen so that you'll be ready and know what to do. And you see, that's the thing about war is both generals on either side are trying to prepare a situation where the other side doesn't know what their opponent is going to do next. And ours is the enemy of our soul. And he right loves to use pain and suffering and persecution to do what? To get you when you weren't suspecting and waiting for it. 
And then you'll go just like that. You'll fall. So Lord, help us to learn how to rejoice in the midst of suffering. Encourage us, Lord, in the family of believers and in the faith and deliver us from the evil one. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome back, church, again. And if you're listening via podcast, we just want to say we hope this message would help you take your next step closer to Jesus as we all do this together. So we're, let me do a little recap of where we're at. So in First and in Second Thessalonians, there were some... These were some of the very first epistles or the first letters that Paul had written to some of the churches. And this in particular was the church in Thessalonica. Remember, we learned last week that Philippians is really a letter that Paul wrote to a church in a place called Philippi. Ephesians for a place called Ephesians. Uh, First and second Thessalonians for a place called Thessalonica. So these were cities where churches were at. And Paul wrote to encourage this young church to continue in their faith in spite of the persecution and the rejection they received because there was so much diverse culture, so much established authority that here they come in with this this new thing called the way. We call it Christianity today. And as they're coming in, bringing this stuff, and by the way, who is this guy that they're following? They're listening, and and they're promoting and repeating all of the teachings of this guy who was a son of a carpenter, and he died on a cross because of the Jews and the Romans. And you got to understand, the rest of the world heard the story that he rose from the dead, and you got to think, okay, there's a fairy tale. And so this group shows up teaching the teachings of this carpenter's son. They weren't well received. First and second century, it was tough to be a Christian. And this is the setting that I want us to understand. They're not like in America. Even today, it's hard. But at least we can go back and say our founding was on Christ. Our forefathers believed in the cross, in the resurrection. They didn't have that. It was a lot of opposition. And there was a lot of pain. And there was a lot of suffering. So the early church, it suffered because they stood firm in their faith and in the cause of Christ. So let's read John chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, Jesus says, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. So it hates you. Wow. That's like really insightful stuff that the Lord gave us. I mean, we're talking millennial ago that this was written, right? And he's saying, don't you get it? I know they hate you, but they're hating you because they hated me first. Did you catch that? And and, and they would love you if you forfeit your faith in Jesus and just come be a part of us. 
Be just as messed up as we are, and we'll embrace you, and you can be a part of us. You can be a Luciferian. You can be part of the Satanic Church. You can be a worldly person, and we'll love on you, and we want to rub on you. You see this? But Jesus says, I chose you. I've called you out of that. Wow. I don't know about you, but you remember being the kid in the play yard in elementary school? And you know when you were one of the first ones to get picked, you were just like, yep, I got picked. <laughs> you know what it's like to be the last one who doesn't get picked? And the bully always says, you go on their team. You know what I'm saying? Here's Jesus looking at you and saying, you, you're on my team. First pick. Catch that? He said, I chose you. Wow. The world that Jesus came to save, it ultimately rejected him. It refused him. And in this passage from John, it points out the same will happen to you, to me. Because our battle is not flesh and blood. Do you remember when this was written? Millennia ago. It's still relevant today. It's not personal that they hate you. It's personal to him. Because you follow Jesus, they hate you because he stands in the way. And they know it. That's a spiritual battle. And the people of Thessalonica, they, they were true believers and they felt that hatred, that rejection by family, by friends, by, by the community and commerce. They felt it. Just like we feel it. In the first two chapters in 1 Thessalonians, it gives us a great insight onto the affection and the passion that Paul had for this church. He admired this church. He speaks out about how they became an example to all the believers in Greece and through all, all of Macedonia and Achaia. That's a hard word. If you look at it, it's, it's not an easy word to pronounce that, Achaia. What's interesting here is that Paul recognizes the amazing faith that this young church had. He spoke to it. Let's look. Let's see it here. First Thessalonians chapter one. We'll start at verse six. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of, say with me, church, the severe suffering it brought you. What? This kind of suffering we're going to find out means they were flogged. This is serious stuff. And they're counting it joy. The apostles, we'll read something about the apostles talking about this. And this way you imitate both us and, and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. What does that mean? They're evangelizing. They're saying, I got to tell you about my Jesus. Let, let me tell you about the Lord. Everywhere they go. They just can't help it. They got to tell somebody. 
And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. And everywhere we go, we find, we find people telling us about your faith in God. What does that mean? That means I was going over here and I was, going, I was up in Sacramento and I was down in Stockton. I was down in Orange County. I went over to Frisco and I was in the Delta here. and I was Everywhere I heard, I couldn't help it. Everybody's talking about Jesus. And I said, where do you go to church? River Rock. Do you see what I'm saying? This is what Paul's saying. He goes, this is a traveler. Paul's a traveler. And he goes, everywhere I go, and they were telling me about the church in Thessalonica. Wow. You understand why he admires them? We, and for everywhere we go, we find people tell us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. Meaning, I don't have to share the gospel. You already did it. So Paul says, remember, Paul had said, you receive the message with joy. They received the gospel message. Even with severe suffering, they still welcomed it with joy. This church was set apart. It was admired. It, it, it became a model because of the way they were able to receive the gospel and in turn live out the gospel. It was amazing then, as it is now, that in spite of the difficulty they faced, they persevered in their faith. There's an old story that comes to mind about old Russia, communist Russia, and they would have the underground churches and the story goes that to be able to come, it may take a day or half a day to a full day for everybody to gather because they would come one or two at a time into a place, into the basement where nobody would know that they're congregating because they didn't come as a big group or a herd. One here, one there. So it just looked like normal business of a day. Until everybody had arrived, then they would begin and they would sing. Their little songs, Jesus loves me. But they would do it in a whisper. And then finally, as they were doing this, the KGB came in, storming through with their AK-47s. They put everybody up against the wall. There they stood up against the wall and facing with their backs to them, they said, who will renounce this farce and leave now you will not be shot half of them immediately left they did it again but this time they cocked the ak-47 another half of them left it was just a small tiny little group left who now nobody left tears were running down the little children and the wives and the men stood strong and when everybody was done, and there was pure silence, then the commander said, you are real Christians, and so now we will sing with you. They put their guns down, and they worshiped and had church together. Are you all in? Are you willing if somebody puts a rifle at you? Could you stand? 
I don't know. I want to say yes. But I wonder, God, is there something that I haven't given over to you yet? Whatever that thing is, take it from me. Because I want to be all in. All in. Because the easy thing is take my life, but what if they point it at your wife? What if they point it at your child? Your grandbaby? Are you all in? It's in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says, The apostles left the high council rejoicing. See, they were in front of the high council. They got in trouble because they wouldn't stop talking about the miracles and the teachings. They wouldn't renounce Jesus Christ. And they just got in big trouble. And they flogged them. All these lashings. And when they were done being flogged, they leave. And this is what happens. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Hey, those bad guys really believe we're Christians. Look at my stripes. Isn't that awesome? I don't know about you, but that guy's all in. And every day in the temple and from, and from house to house, these the same apostles, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Wow. The disgrace experienced by the apostles was public. It wasn't just the flogging, but the humiliation that was connected to the flogging. Even though they were innocent, in the eyes of the community, they were looked as reprobates, as criminals, as felons. And they, thank you, Lord. If Jesus could go to the cross, if Jesus could be flogged, so can we. Wow. It didn't dissuade them. See, this testimony and this faith of these guys, 2,000 years later, it still speaks to us today. You know that there are Christians all over the world that they all, all they ask is they're suffering and they're getting beaten is that they would have a strong enough back to endure it a little bit longer. And we Americans... Oh God, take my suffering away from me. Oh God, forgive me, Lord. I just take away... Hello? That's what we Americans do. If you don't, I have. I'm embarrassed to say it. It's too much, God. What kind of Christian is that? If the gospel is often received with suffering and joy, then it makes sense. So those that hear the gospel and they can get in trouble they can be beaten then doesn't it go to reason for those who are actually delivering the message they too would suffer as these disciples had in 
in Acts. So it says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 and 2, You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Paul's talking about, I was just in Philippi. Man, they messed us up bad. Why? Because he was delivering the gospel. And sometimes when you deliver the gospel, don't get me wrong, sometimes people can just be lame. You know what I'm talking about? There's a right time and a wrong time to do things. You don't get to be goofy just because you're a Christian. I will apply the fivefold ministry to wake up your mentality. Don't be lame. What does that mean? Oh, Jesus loves you. Everything's fine. And, and you just get weird. The mother just died. The dad just died. It's all be fine. Wipe those tears away. What? Be appropriate for the moment. Don't be quick to speak. Listen. Remember two ears, one mouth? God gave us one mouth so we were supposed to listen twice as much as we talk. Right? We should look twice as much. We need to sense what's going on in a room before we just start blabbing. Why? Because we can misrepresent the gospel. And that's not good. The early church was seen as a threat to the more established religious systems around the earth at that time and the established authorities. And, and in those in power, they didn't like it when their authority was being challenged. Why would they? And the gospel was a threat. Why? Because it came in power. They saw blind people see again. They saw lame people walk. They saw leprosy healed. See, there was no religion then, there is no religion today, except in Christianity that you see divine miracles. Can you imagine going to a funeral, everybody wailing and crying because the little boy had died? And as he's going through the streets, Jesus says, hey, 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 stop for a minute. And told his son, come on down. Heals the dead kid on the, in the casket? Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of guy I want at my party. That party would be rocking. You know, you go and I've been blessed to travel a few places in the world. And you go and you see these huge edifices, you know, Buddhas and all, all these different things, these monkey gods, all these different things. And you just look at them and you stare. And, you're, and, you, and you see them crossing their legs and their arms and this little funny little smile on the big Buddha or on these monkey gods and all these 
different things. Then I close my eyes. I'm respectful because I'm in another country. Then I close my eyes and then I see my Lord's cross. I see the holes in his hands. Scars on his back. Crown of thorns. And then I see, I just picture the empty tomb. And then I kind of weep. For they know not what they're doing. They know not. So we all suffer. Whether we receive, whether we deliver, we can suffer. And we do suffer for the cause of Christ. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 14 and 15, And then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffer persecution from your own countrymen. Has that ever happened to you? People that you went to church with? People that you had Thanksgiving with? Christmas with? People you've known for ages and ages? We would refer to them as our own countrymen. In this way, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea who, because of their belief in Christ Jesus, suffered from their own people, the Jews. For some of the Jews killed the prophets, and some even killed the Lord Jesus. Now they have persecuted us too. They failed to please God and work against all humanity. In this passage, Paul is, is encouraging the church to remember that they are not alone. Did you catch that? Church, you're not alone. When your family gives you the stink eye, when your friends don't want to talk to you at work, when you go through those hard places in life, those adult children who won't call you. It's always Jesus this and Jesus that. Can I just talk to you, Mom? Can I just talk to you, Dad? Without you bringing up this whole Jesus stuff. Boy, it got quiet in this room. He's trying to tell you, you're not alone, child. The prophet's got it. Jesus got it. The disciples got it. The early church fathers and, and, and the brothers and the sisters, they got it. So we need to get it too. Peter talks about this too. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, Stay alert! Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you do at River Rock. A little modification in the end. You catch that? It's so fun when I go on trips abroad some of those of you guys have also done those trips and we're singing modern day christian songs but it ain't in english 
It is the coolest thing. You'll be, Lord, I lift your name on high. And they're doing it in, I don't know, some other language, Bulgarian or something like that. And you're just like, this is trippy. Because we're all worshiping the same Jesus, even in our own different languages. I felt the Spirit of God fall, made my knees weak. It was beautiful. You're not alone. You are not alone. God loves you, just like He loves those who were suffering abroad. Those who are suffering around the corner. You just have to love the way Peter says that your family of believers all over the world. They're going through the same kind of suffering. He says, stand firm in your faith. When we suffer, when we're mocked, when we're teased, when we're ridiculed, when somebody posts something against us, when friends or family cut us off, when we have to leave a job, we learn what it means to stand firm in our faith. And at some point, we learn that we're, we're not standing alone. We never were. We stand with the entire family of believers around the world. You know, one time I was uh, packing boxes working at a place called Target Distribution in Iowa. And it was a tough, tough little season in, in life and in ministry. And uh, I got put together with a, a known homosexual. So we were both working the same area, just he and I working together, working really hard, trying to you know, make all of our numbers and everything. And I just felt the Lord saying, he's, he's going to come after you. Just smile and don't take the bait. He was going to try to gaslight me. And uh, so he's going on and he starts, something comes up about him being homosexual and, and me being a pastor. And uh, he says, so what do you think about it? I go, wow, what do I think about you being well, what do you think about me being heterosexual? Faithful to my wife all these years. I go, dude, don't you think that's kind of private? He kind of looked at me like, okay. And then I said to him, I said, I got to let you know something. My name is Marvin Telemontis, and I am a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus. I'm not here to pick on you because you have a sin that everybody knows about. I'll guarantee you, you could talk to my wife or my kids or my family or a bunch of people that know me, and they got a list this long. You could pick one or ten, and they'd all be right. So why am I going to pick on your sin? Why do you want your sin to be my conversation? The guy goes, dude, I've never met anybody like you. I said, I'm not here to pick on you. I go, but if you want to talk, we'll talk. But if you want to fight, well, you win. And he just shook his head and smiled at me. He goes, I think I like you. <laughs> I didn't back away from what I believe the word of God was. 
I just made sure he understood I didn't think I was king. I didn't think I was superior. There's only one king and his name is Jesus. What does he say? What does he think is the only thing that matters? About me? About you? About anybody? We will all suffer at some point for our faith. Our faith in Jesus. If you have never suffered in your faith, I question your faith. I'm going to let that one sit a little bit. If you've been a Christian for a long time and you have never suffered for being a Christian, I think something might be needing to be looked at. Because you probably had many opportunities to speak up for Christ and you kept silent. Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian in a court of law? Something to ponder. Again, in, uh, Peter says in chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, In His kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, wow, there's an assumption. There's an expectation Peter has that we're going to suffer a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. I just love that. It's not like just suffer for no reason. He says, yeah, you're going to suffer. And after you're done suffering, Bob, guess what? Well, a little while after you suffer, Bob, he will restore, he will support, and he will strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. It's for not. It's not for not. There's something great coming yet. I want to close with this because sometimes th this story is really powerful. Sometimes this idea of suffering is, is really hard because when you suffer in certain ways, it doesn't just hurt. Somebody hit me and scratched me or they gouged me or they even cut me. I can work with that. You hurt my body. You broke my arm. I, I can recover from that. But when you go after my soul, somebody molested and raped. You go after somebody's soul. Now we're in a different ballgame. And God's saying, how do I handle this when I suffer in ways that makes no sense? So with that in mind, I want us to hear this, this little story. His name's Dr. David Siemens. And he tells a story about a young woman that when he taught at the Bible college, she would come on a regular basis because she had suffered such incredible abuse at her home. It was, it was psychological abuse. It was sexual. It was physical. The very place that was supposed to be nurturing and loving was instead a frightening and brutal place. He had counseled with her several times. At last, this gal said that she was ready for him to pray for emotional healing in her soul of the past. But as he was praying for her, and he's literally praying in, in the mid-sentence, she yells out this incredible scream. And he goes, 
What's happening? Why did you scream? Fearful that somebody's going to run in. The secretary, whoever's on the outside, is going to barge in. Thinking something horrible's happening. She says, I can't give them up. I can't give them up. I can't give them up. He goes, please explain what you're saying. My resentments. I can't give them up. They're all that I have. It's who I am. They met twice more for counseling, but her heart was no longer in it. She stopped coming. He never saw her again. Years and years went by. And he got called to come and do a conference at this particular church, which was actually out of state from where the, the college was at. And after speaking one of the nights that he was there to speak, one of the, one of the women in the back, she came up to see him. He, he didn't recognize her. This woman looked much more aged than her actual years of life. And she walked right up to him and says, do, do you recognize me? He goes, I'm so sorry, ma'am, I, I don't. She goes, do you remember when I screamed in the middle of your prayer at the office? He was fabriclasted. He was dumbfounded. I remember. She says, it's been two divorces and a nervous breakdown. I think I probably should have let it all go. Then she turned and walked right out the church. He couldn't call her back. And she left and he never saw her again. You and I get to choose. Am I going to hold on to my resentments? Am I going to hold on to all those things that were done wrong and unjust? Because I have a right. I was done wrong. This was injustice. This was a violation to my soul. Yeah. You can turn and walk away. Or you can say, I receive your healing. I let go of it all. So I can be well. So I can be fully used by the King. So I can share my story with somebody else who has a story like mine. But I can point them to the altar. To the King. Where are you today? Is your suffering so bad? That you're willing to walk out those doors and not deal with your pain? Or are you willing to say, for the cause of Christ, for all the pain, all the suffering, God, I give it to you. Show me how you want to use this for thy kingdom, for your will, for your way. It wasn't right. It was brutal. It was evil. It wasn't right. You know what's worse than all of that? Living with it. The rest of your life. That's the only thing more evil than the violations that were done to your soul. 
Choosing to live with it on purpose. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Will you pray with me? If you're part of the prayer team, we prayed this morning, would you find your way up here, please? Lord, I just come before you and we just pray for each and every person here today who says we, we know what suffering's like. We know what it's like to, to stand up for the cause of Christ and find that resistance, that opposition. So Lord, I just pray that we would be willing to say like those apostles, with great joy, I'm willing to stand up and be called worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. And Lord, for those who are here and they've suffered what appears to be for no reason, just a violation of their soul. And Lord, their mind and their heart are so twisted by the violation that they really don't know how to be themselves. That they too feel like they could just scream and say, I can't let go of all the offenses and the resentments. It's who I am. God, we come against that vain imagination. And we pray, set the captive free. Set the captive free. If you're here today and you're just saying, Pastor, I, I, I just I want to pray. I, I want to forgive. I want to let that go. I want emotional healing in my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand, look up at me, and, and we're going to pray right where you're at. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So, Father, for all those who are raising their hands, I, I just pray deliverance in the name of Jesus. I pray emotionally healing, spiritual healing in their hearts and on those memories. And, Lord, we pray something new and fresh would overtake them now because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Give them hope. Give them, Father, a, a desire to walk in this step of faith. They're going all in to forgive, Lord. This is probably one of the hardest things they've ever, ever had to do or even think of doing. It feels like a violation against themselves, but the truth is, it's what sets the captives free because we say, I forgive the way Jesus forgave. And Lord, we know that you will have greatness for us, Lord. We just pray, Father, your will. We pray, Father, your way. We pray, Lord, that nothing is impossible with you. So, Lord, we ask this in the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus. And we all say, Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.